0: SECTION 4 OF THE CASE OF THE POOL OF BLOOD IN THE PASTOR'S STUDY BY GRACE ISABEL Colbron AND AUGUSTA GRONER THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN SECTION 4 And now Muller, making another careful examination of the floor, found something else. It was something that might be utterly unimportant or might be of great value. It was a tiny bit of hardened lacquer which he found on the floor beside one of the legs of the desk. It was rounded out, with sharp edges, and coloured grey with a tiny zigzag of yellow on its surface. Muller lifted it carefully and looked at it keenly. This tiny bit of lacquer had evidently been knocked off some convex object, but it was impossible to tell at the moment just what sort of an object it might have been. There are so many different things which are customarily covered with lacquer. However, further examination brought him down to a narrower range of subjects, for on the inside of the lacquer he found a shred of reddish wood fibre. It must have been a wooden object, therefore, from which the lacquer came, and the wood had been of reddish tinge. Muller pondered the matter for a little while longer. Then he placed his discovery carefully in the pastor's emptied tobacco box and dropped the box into his own pocket. He closed the window and the door to the dining room, lit a lamp, and entered the passageway leading to the vestry. It was a short passage, scarcely more than a dozen paces long. The walls were whitewashed, the floor tiled, and the entire passage shone in neatness muller held the light of his lamp to every inch of it but there was nothing to show that the criminal had gone through here with the body of his victim the criminal muller still thought of only one his long experience had taught him that the most intricate crimes were usually committed by one man only the strength necessary for such a crime as this did not deceive him either he knew that in extraordinary moments extraordinary strength will come to the one who needs it. He now passed down the steps leading into the vestry. There was no trace of any kind here either. The door into the vestry was not locked. It was seldom locked, they had told him, for the vestry itself was closed by a huge carved portal with a heavy ornamented iron lock that could be opened only with the greatest noise and trouble. This door was locked and closed as it had been since yesterday morning. Everything in the vestry was in perfect order, the priests' garments and censers all in their places. Muller assured himself of this before he left the little room. He then opened the glass door that led down by a few steps into the church. It was a beautiful old church, and it was a rich church also, It was built in the older Gothic style, and its heavy, broad-arched walls, its massive columns, would have made it look cold and bare had not handsome tapestries, the gifts of the Lady of the Manor, covered the walls. Fine old pictures hung here and there above the altars, and handsome stained-glass windows broke the light that fell into the high vaulted interior. There were three great altars in the church— all of them richly decorated. The main altar stood isolated in the choir. In the open space behind it was the entrance to the crypt, now veiled in a mysterious twilight. Heavy silver candlesticks, three on a side, stood on the altar, the pale gold of the tabernacle door gleamed between them. Muller walked through the silent church, in which even his light steps resounded uncannily. HE LOOKED INTO EACH OF THE PEWS, INTO THE CONFESSIONALS, HE WALKED AROUND ALL THE COLUMNS, HE CLIMBED UP INTO THE pulpit AND DID EVERYTHING THAT THE OTHERS HAD DONE BEFORE HIM YESTERDAY. AND, AS WITH THEM, HE FOUND NOTHING THAT WOULD INDICATE THAT A MURDERER HAD SPENT ANY TIME IN THE CHURCH. FINALLY HE TURNED BACK ONCE MORE TO THE MAIN ALTAR ON HIS WAY OUT. BUT HE DID NOT LEAVE THE CHURCH AS HE INTENDED. His last look at the altar had showed him something that attracted his attention, and he walked up the three steps to examine it more closely. What he had seen was something unusual about one of the silver candlesticks. These candlesticks had three feet, and five of them were placed in such a way that the two front feet were turned toward the spectator. But on the end candlestick nearest Muller, "'the single foot projected out to the front of the altar. "'This candlestick, therefore, had been set down hastily, "'not placed carefully in the order of things as were the others. "'And not only this. "'The heavy wax candle which was in the candlestick "'was burned down about a finger's breadth more than the others, "'for these were all of exactly the same height. "'Muller bent still closer to the candlestick, but he saw that the dim light in the church was not sufficient. He went to one of the smaller side altars, took a candle from there, lit it with one of the matches that he found in his own pocket, and returned with the burning candle to the main altar. The steps leading up to this altar were covered by a large rug with a white ground and a pattern of flowers. Looking carefully at it, the detective saw a tiny brown spot the mark of a burn, upon one of the white surfaces. Beside it lay a half-used match. Walking around this carefully, Muller approached the candlestick that interested him, and holding up his light, he examined every inch of its surface. He found what he was looking for. There were dark red spots between the rough edges of the silver ornamentation. "'Then the body is somewhere around here,' Thought the detective, and came down from the steps, still holding the burning candle. He walked slowly to the back of the altar. There was a little table there, such as held sacred dishes for the communion service, and the little carpet covered steps which the sexton put out for the pastor when he took the monstrance from the high built tabernacle. That was all that was to be seen in the dark corner behind the altar. Holding his candle close to the floor, Muller discovered an iron ring fastened to one of the big stone flags. This must be the entrance to the crypt. Muller tried to raise the flag, and was astonished to find how easily it came up. It was a square of reddish marble, the same with which the entire floor of the church was tiled. This flag was very thin and could easily be raised and placed back against the wall. Muller took up his candle, too greatly excited to stop to get a stick for it. He felt assured that now he would soon be able to solve at least part of the mystery. He climbed down the steps carefully and found that they led into the crypt as he supposed. They were kept spotlessly clean, as was the entire crypt as far as he could see by the light of his flickering candle. He was not surprised to discover that the air was perfectly pure here. There must be windows or ventilators somewhere. This he knew from the way his candle behaved. The ancient vault had a high arched ceiling and heavy, massive pillars. It was a subterranean repetition of the church above. There had evidently been a convent attached to this church at one time, for here stood a row of simple wooden coffins all exactly alike, bearing each one upon its lid a roughly painted cross surrounded by a wreath. Thus were buried the monks of days long past. Muller walked slowly through the rows of coffins looking eagerly to each side. Suddenly he stopped and stood still. His hand did not tremble, but his thin face was pale, pale as that face which looked up at him out of one of the coffins. The lid of the coffin stood up against the wall, and Muller saw that there were several other empty ones further on, waiting for their silent occupants. The body in the open coffin before which Muller stood was the body of the man who had been missing since the day previous, He lay there quite peacefully, his hands crossed over his breast, his eyes closed, a line of pain about his lips. In the crossed fingers was a little bunch of dark yellow roses. At first glance one might have almost thought that loving hands had laid the old pastor in his coffin, but the red stain on the white cloth about his throat and the bloody disorder of his snow-white hair "'contrasted, sadly, with the look of peace on the dead face. "'Under his head was a white silk cushion, "'one of the cushions from the altar. "'Muller stood looking down for some time "'at this poor victim of a strange crime. "'Then he turned to go. "'He wanted to know one more thing, "'how the murderer had left the crypt. "'The flame of his candle told him for it nearly went out in a gust of wind that came down the opening right above him this was a window about three or four feet from the floor protected by rusty iron bars which had been sawed through leaving the opening free it was a small window but it was large enough to allow a man of much greater size than muller to pass through it the detective blew out his candle and climbed up to the open sill he found himself outside in the corner of the churchyard. A thicket of heavy bushes grown up over neglected graves completely hid the opening through which he had come. There were thorns on these bushes and also a few scattered roses, dark yellow roses. Muller walked thoughtfully through the churchyard. The sexton sat huddled in an unhappy heap at the gate, He looked up in alarm as he saw the detective walking towards him. Something in the stranger's face told the little hunchback that he had made a discovery. The sexton sprang up. His lips did not dare utter the question that his eyes asked. "'I have found him,' said the detective gravely. The hunchback sexton staggered, then recovered himself and hurried away to fetch the magistrate and the doctor." An hour later the murdered pastor lay in state in the chief apartment of his home, surrounded by burning candles and high heaped masses of flowers. But he still lay in the simple convent coffin, and the little bunch of roses which his murderer had placed between his stiffening fingers had not been touched. Two days later the pastor was buried. The Count and his family led the train of numerous mourners, and among the last was Muller. A day or two after the funeral, the detective sauntered slowly through the main street of the village. He was not in a very good humor. His answer to the greeting of those who passed him was short. The children avoided him, for with the keenness of their kind they recognized the fact that this usually gentle little man was not in possession of his habitual calm temper. One group of boys, playing with a top, did not notice his coming, and Muller stopped behind them to look on. Suddenly a sharp whistle was heard, and the boys looked up from their play, surprised at seeing the stranger behind them. His eyes were gleaming and his cheeks were flushed, and a few bars of a merry tune came in a keen whistle from his lips as he watched the spirals made by the spinning top. Before the boys could stop their play, the detective had left the group and hastened onward to the little shop. He left it again in eager haste, after having made his purchase, and hurried back to the rectory. The shopkeeper stood in the doorway looking in surprise at this grown man who came in to buy a top, and at home in the rectory the old housekeeper listened in equal surprise to the humming noise over her head. She thought at first it might be a bee that had gotten in somehow. Then she realized that it was not quite the same noise, and having already concluded that it was of no use to be surprised at anything the strange guest might do, she continued reading her scriptures. Upstairs in the pastor's study, Muller sat in the armchair attentively watching the gyrations of a spinning top. The little toy started at a certain point, "'drew a line exactly parallel to the scratch on the floor "'that had excited his thoughts "'and absorbed them night and day. "'It was a top. "'A top,' repeated the detective to himself again and again. "'I don't see why I didn't think of that right away. "'Why, of course nothing else could have drawn "'such a perfect curve around the room, "'unhindered by the legs of the desk.' "'Only I don't see how a toy like that could have any connection "'with this cruel and purposeless murder. "'Why, only a fool or a madman!' "'Muller sprang up from his chair, "'and again a sharp, shrill whistle came from his lips. "'A madman,' he repeated, beating his own forehead. "'It could only have been a madman who committed this murder. "'And the pastor was not the first. There were two other murders here within a comparatively short time. I think I will take advantage of Dr. Orze's invitation. End of Section 4